chapter 1. Let's stand uh, for the reading of God's Word this evening. And we're going to look at um, a lot of the first chapter is foundational to understanding the rest of the book. Uh, but uh, we'll look at that quite a bit and we'll also get into some other parts. But we're going to begin in verse 17 here for the reading of our text and we'll back up as we get into the message, uh, the lesson this evening. Verse 17 says, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city and an iron pillow, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. So we're going to look this evening at the book of Jeremiah, and I've entitled the lesson simply this, Stand Up. And weep. Stand up and weep. Let's pray. Dear Lord, tonight as we look at this study, I pray, God, that our hearts would be moved and stirred. Uh, I don't know that our country is as far gone as uh, Israel was, as Judah was. But, Lord, we're, we're approaching that. And, Lord, I pray we'd have the same resolve that Jeremiah had, that we would not worry about popularity. We would worry about standing up for what's right. Lord, too many Christians today are too concerned with fitting in with the culture instead of fitting in with you. And Lord, Jeremiah was told he would be opposed by even the religious leaders, but he he did what was right anyway. Lord, I pray that his courage and his boldness, his stick to Lord, would rub off on us a little bit tonight as we study this. Thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. A little background on the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied to the southern kingdom of Judah. You may remember during the reign of Rehoboam, Solomon's son, uh, uh, Rehoboam wanted to up the taxes uh, from what, where his father had them. And um, uh, upon the raising of the taxes, the ten northern tribes split and started their own country. The two southern tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin, uh, began their own, or rather maintained uh, their, the throne there in Jerusalem. So the ten northern tribes uh, from their, that point forward would be called Israel, and then the two southern tribes would be called Judah. So Jeremiah prophesied to the two southern tribes, two and a half, I guess, southern tribes uh, of Judah, and he prophesied during the last five kings before the Babylonian captivity. So there were five kings... Uh, some of them would serve in solitude or in total political freedom. Uh, at some point, uh, Nebuchadnezzar would come in and he would overtake the city and then set up a king to run the country underneath the rule of Babylon. And uh, 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 Jeremiah was there and prophesied during that time as well. That king would rebel and would be taken uh, away and taken off the throne. And then they would just uh, all their cities would be burned and things would just get worse. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, interestingly enough, had a scribe named Baruch, Baruch, and or Baruch, however you want to pronounce his name. And this scribe did a lot of the handwriting or the transposing for Jeremiah. Jer- God would tell Jeremiah what he wanted in the Bible, and then Jeremiah would have uh, Baruch write it down. 
uh, the book of Jer- in the book of Jeremiah, we find some of the strongest evidence for uh, biblical inspiration and preservation. And just to quickly recap that story, uh, God tells Jeremiah uh, what he wants written down. And so, word for word verbatim, Jeremiah has what God wants written down pinned down, and then he takes it to the king, and it's being read to the king. The king has it cut out of the scroll and tossed in the fire in an attempt to destroy it. And uh, God tells Jeremiah, well, I know you don't have a perfect memory. I want you to write it down again. I'm sure Beirut probably rolled his eyes. i got to write all that down again, right? Uh, but word for word, it was written down again. And that whole account can be found in Jeremiah chapter 36. We won't look at that in great detail tonight. But if you really do question the inspiration of the Bible, whether or not God actually was the true author of the Bible, just read Jeremiah 36. That will help answer a lot of questions there for you and just how the Bible was written and how that worked. In this book, God used Jeremiah to pen some very encouraging stories and uh, some just really uh, uh, enjoyable thoughts. Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah chapter 18, we find the story of the potter and the clay. And this is just introduction. Again, there's so much in the book, uh, we could take any one of these uh, items or verses and, 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 and just spend weeks exhausting it, but that's not really the purpose of the study here tonight. Jeremiah 18, we find the story of the potter and the clay. Um, in that story, uh, uh, God has Jeremiah go down and uh, to a potter's house and uh, there's an analogy there drawn, a very poetic, a very uh, inspirational, uh, uh, how God is trying to work our lives. Really, a lot of truths about the, the doctrine of sanctification, how God's trying to remove things out of our lives and make us into His image. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, again, just trying to give you some of the highlights of the book here before we get into the nitty-gritty of the Bible study. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, and if you know it, say it with me, Call unto me... And I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What a great promise, isn't it? Call unto me and I will answer thee. Uh, We don't have a God that ignores us. We have a God that answers us. Now, we don't always like His answers, but His answers are always what's best for us. Um, When your child, when, when you said to your parents, do I have to eat the greens on my plate? You maybe didn't like their answer, but their answer was probably what was good for you, right? Sometimes we ask God out of things, and He says no. Sometimes we ask God for things, and He says no. Sometimes He says wait. But we do know that He answers us. He always answers us. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Turn over there with me real quick. Jeremiah, hold your place in one, because we're going to be coming back there in just a moment. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And again, Jeremiah, before we read the verse, just understand this. He spent his whole life being opposed. He spent his whole life being a fighter for the Lord. And one thing I know about men who get a taste of blood in their mouth, what I mean a fighting mentality, is that they're just generally, grace and meekness just normally does not embody them. But nonetheless, it embodied Jeremiah, and he understood the true character of God. God had him pin verse 11 down. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I think that verse fits really well with the sermon Brother Verone preached Sunday night. How that um, 
Yeah, God was punishing the children of Israel, but His end thought was peace. It, it wasn't, it wasn't destruction or evil. And it was to give them an expected end or a good ending. You're in, uh, uh, you're in chapter 29, verse 11. Look down at verse 13. It says there, And ye, or all of you, shall, or in the future, seek me. All of you, ye shall seek me and find me, when ye search for me with all your heart. Feel like God is distanced from you? You feel like God's not answering your prayer? Maybe you're not seeking Him with all your heart. Look, uh, just two chapters over, look at uh, chapter 31 and verse 3. Again, just looking at some of the highlights of the chapter here. And these are just random thoughts to throw at you before we get into the nitty-gritty of the uh, Bible study. Look at verse 3 of Jeremiah 31. I love this verse. It says there, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Think back to the day you got saved. Wasn't it His loving kindness that drew you? I stop to think about God, what He could have done with Adam and Eve right after they sinned. But it was His loving kindness that drew them. It's His loving kindness that still draws people today. I stop and think about how many people aren't soul winning. And that's why we're going to start the class next week to help those who are, need some help uh, with that. But then I think about all the people that are out soul winning. I wonder, on average, how many souls are saved an hour. Is it a hundred? Is it a thousand? How many people stumble on the truth on their own or have a soul winner walk them down that? Every one of those souls that are saved, that's the loving kindness of God drawing them. It says there, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. This is a love that cannot be... Uh, uh, defined by time. This is a love that exceeds, exceeds the past or the beginning of time and it exceeds the future. God called Jeremiah to be his mouthpiece during a time when Israel was perverse and when Israel was backslidden. God assured Jeremiah that he would be persecuted but protected. I believe that God is calling that God has called each human that is alive to do a specific work. It is our job to discover and accomplish God's perfect plan for our life. It is our job. Christian, can I ask you a question? Have you discovered and are you doing God's perfect plan for your life? Are you doing it? It isn't just to wake up every morning and run America's rat race. Now, God might want you to fulfill the career that you're fulfilling. But that's not the beginning and the end of it. That's, um, that's not the spiritual reason why He put you on the earth. Tonight we're going to run through six concepts, and you have the notes there, the, the, uh, the outline rather, on the back of your prayer bulletin. Six concepts that will give us a good overview of the book of Jeremiah. Let's jump right in, this idea of stand up and weep. Number one, God's selection of Jeremiah. God's selection of Jeremiah. Look at verse 4 and 5 of Jeremiah chapter 1. 
Look back there at chapter 1. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says there, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee, and I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. God knew Jeremiah's name before he was even a glimmer in the eyes of his parents. Knew who he was, and in heaven had already formed him and had his whole life planned out. Let me ask a question this evening. It's a, it's a rhetorical question, meaning one you don't answer out loud. But do you think Jeremiah is the only human being that God knew, foreknew, foreordained? I don't think so. Do you think God knew who you were before you were glimmering in the eyes of your parents? Do you think God handpicked a role for you to fulfill on this planet? I sure think He did. Now, and I don't think that's just the people in this room or the people that are saved. I think that's every human being that's born. I think God has a perfect plan for their life. A perfect plan. I'll tell you one of the things about God that just blows me away. I can't wrap my mind around this. Is that if every human being did God's perfect will, boy, the world would look a lot different, wouldn't it? And somehow God is able to take our free will and our bad decisions and still put it all together to bring about some and a whole lot of good. You ever sinned and just blown it? And then watch God take your sin and make a miracle out of a mess? Has that ever happened to you? God's good at that, isn't He? Or maybe someone else's sin against you, such as Joseph's brothers. And The Bible tells us in Matthew twenty nine eleven that many are called, but few are chosen. And I've explained that verse from this pulpit a few times and so I won't go into great detail, but listen, God calls everybody to do something, but only a few get chosen to do what they've been called to do. You say, how can I be called? Be close enough where you can hear the Lord. God has and is selecting you to do something. You say, but pastor, I have run from that the majority of my life, and I am approaching the latter half of my life, or I am on the latter half of my life, What should I do? Again, God's so complex and God is so marvelous that He knew you would run from Him and He knew when you'd come to Him and He still has a plan for you. Now, it may not be plan A that you would have been able to fulfill if you would have started following it at a young age as a child, but He has a plan. So get to it. Find Him and do it. Letter or number two there, notice Jeremiah's sense of inability. Jeremiah's sense of inability. Look down with me at verse 6. So God told Jeremiah, I I knew who you were before you were even in your mother's womb. I formed you. I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet. Verse 6, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. He pointed at two things here in verse 6. The first thing he pointed at was his mouth. He pointed at his mouth. Interestingly enough, he isn't the only one that pointed out his mouth in Scripture. There were a few other folks that said, I, I, I can't, 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 can't do 
what, what you're c- c- calling me, me, me to, to, to do. He pointed out his mouth. He said, I can't do this. He said, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I wonder if um, the number one reason why Christians don't do what God called them to do is because they're afraid that their mouth is not going to be able to form the right words and say the right things. When I approach someone, I say, would you like to teach a Sunday school class? Me? I'm going to be scared. I can't do that. Are you any different than Moses or Jeremiah? They pointed at their mouth as well. Hey, I need you to take some tracks from the back and hand those out around town. But I don't even know what to say. Are you any different than Jeremiah? He pointed at his mouth, but he also pointed at his maturity. Look at verse 6 again. Then said I, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. I am a child. He's like, I'm not mature enough to do this. In comparison to all the great prophets of the past, I'm just but a child. In comparison to you, Lord, I am but a child. And I'll just say really quick right here that God wants uh, those who don't think they can, He wants them first because then He gets all the credit. If you feel as though you're not qualified, good. Because God doesn't need you to be qualified. You say, what do I need to be in order for God to, to use me? You need to be humble. And you need, well, you need to be saved and, and you need to be humble and you need to be available. You need to be available. And so, uh, you say, but I, I, I've not been to the Bible college. I've not even read my Bible all the way through. I've got this shortcoming and that shortcoming. It's time we take our eyes off our shortcomings and we put our eyes on His ability. Because it really isn't about us anyway. Listen, any, any, uh, anybody can stand up here and, uh, and preach a message. And, and the truth is, if something were to happen to me and I were to, I were to die tonight in my sleep and, and you guys had to start looking for another pastor, there are a hundred people out there who could do as good of a job as I'm doing or better. It, it's not really about me. It's not about me at all. It's about this book. And it's about the God of this book. And so quit putting so much emphasis on you and your cans and start putting emphasis on his cans, his ability. Jeremiah's sense of inability, number three, notice God's strength for Jeremiah. God's strength for Jeremiah. I I wonder in heaven when someone gives God a line like uh, Jeremiah did, if God doesn't just step back and smile and say, I got this. I got this. Some of you are going to start this soldiers club next week uh, with Brother Verone. And you're already trembling at the thought of even showing up and going back there. It's, it's, it's uh, some unknowns there for you. Some, some, uh, some, a little bit of fear maybe has settled in. Can I encourage you something tonight? Take the emphasis off of you and listen. Trust in the Lord. Just put your trust in His strength. He will strengthen you. Let me give you quickly an A, B, and a C. God provided Jeremiah with His words. With His words. Jeremiah pointed at his mouth. He said, I cannot speak. And God came back and said, well, you don't need to worry about that. Look at verse 7. 
But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for those uh, shall go to all that I shall... Uh, let me start the verse reading over there. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their face, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. You say, but pastor, that's in the Old Testament. God doesn't still do that today, does He? Yes, He does. Yes, He does. Listen, I believe that God is intricately involved in speaking through His child when He has a message to convey to other people. Now, let me explain to you how it doesn't work. God does not come down and vocally, verbally say, say this to that person. If you're hearing those voices, then you need to go see a psychiatrist. God doesn't work that way. And if anyone ever says to you, God told me to tell you, then you need to get away from them. And if that's being said by a Sunday school teacher or leader here, you need to come let me know. That doesn't work that way. But you know how God does work is that He has, if you're saved, He has put His Holy Spirit inside of you. And He can plant thoughts in your head to say. He can work through your own conscious. His capital S Spirit takes over our little s Spirit. Let me just tell you tonight, God does intricately care. And when you start looking for this, it's amazing. I haven't shared this with anybody here tonight. Pastor Mike and I are aware of this because of the trip we just took. But I don't know that anybody else here would know this. Uh, we bought our plane tickets uh, a week or two ago, and uh, in the buying of the ticket process, they have you choose your seats where you're going to sit on the plane. And so, uh, you know, I picked the seats that were the cheapest and the closest to the front, and I picked the ones that weren't in the middle. There's nothing worse than sitting between two people on a plane that, you know, are, are large, amen? So we picked, uh, we picked three seats. Uh, Pastor Mike and I got put in the same uh, bank of seats, and then across the aisle, Pastor Dave got put up against the window, and uh, uh, listen, uh, that was my free will decision, but I'm going to say God was involved in that decision. We get on the plane, we were one of the first ones on, and we're sitting there just waiting to see who the Lord's going to put next to us. We even prayed on the way to the airport that day that God would put the right people next to us. And lo and behold, right next to Pastor Dave sits a Jewish rabbi. Had the thing on his head the whole nine yards. Am I making this up, Pastor Mike? They talked about Jewish culture, they talked about the Torah versus the New Testament, the whole flight. And guess who sat next to me? A woman from Peru. Who didn't speak a whole lot of English. And I had the chance to open the Bible and go through the Gospel with her. Now, I do believe she's saved, but she had a lot of questions on eternal security and some some misunderstandings there, I, I pray, pray I, we were able to help clear that up for her. You can't tell me that God isn't involved in these things. Now, how many of you are with me that you don't believe any of that was a consequence? How many of you don't believe that was a consequence? I believe God was, had His hand. Now, those people chose their seats, but they really didn't. God was involved in that, right? Don't you think that maybe that happens to you occasionally? Where God's wake-up call here, God's bringing people into your life. Do you know that He can put the words in your mouth to know what to say at that given time? But you have to be looking for it. Again, God can't use you 
unless you hear Him calling you. Letter B, we see His wisdom. Jeremiah said, I can't speak. He pointed out His mouth. God said, I'll give you the words. Letter B, His wisdom. Look at verse 10. It said there, See, I have this day set, over, set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root up and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now, where I get wisdom out of there is that he was going to have to both build up and tear down. He was going to have to uh, uh, plant and uh, tear out and so and destroy. And so he needed to know when to do what and how to do it. Uh, I, I don't know that this is on the back of your bulletin there, but you can write these subpoints under letter B there. He needed to know how to destruct and how to construct. How to destruct and how to construct. Now, it's easy to be destructive. How many don't have a hard time being destructive with your tongue? You're just telling someone, hey, let them have it, right? Lay them out! Boy, that comes natural for all of us because we have a sin nature. But how about construct? You announce that a building's going to get blown up and that, you know, they, they rig the whole thing up, an old building, they rig the whole thing up with explosives and they have a way of triggering it where it falls inward and all comes down to the ground. I'm sure we've all seen this on TV. But they'll announce something like this and man, you'll have school buses down there, you'll have people come out of the, the other, other office buildings around to watch it and, and everyone gathers, the television cameras are rolling and wham, we all want to see destruction. But there's no crowd when it's time to put a new building up in its place. Everyone just drives by and is annoyed by the construction cones. Why? Because destruction's fun. Construction's not. And God said to Jeremiah, I'm going to give you wisdom to know when you are to be destructive, when it's time to tear down. But I'm also going to give you the, the wherewithal to know, the understanding to know when it isn't time to tear down, when it's time to build up. Maybe that's why God was able to use him to write verses like Jeremiah 29.11 we looked at a few minutes ago. Letter C, we see his wherewithal. His wherewithal. Jeremiah was given a daunting task, a tall order. God commanded Jeremiah that he was gonna, he was going to be over the, the nation and over the prophets and he was going to uh, uh, preach, he was going to tear down and, and that uh, God was going to have him do some tough things. And God gave him a little bit of assurance there. Look at verse 18 to 19. And we, we began tonight with this, but let's look at it again. It says, Therefore, behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city and an iron pillow and brazen walls against the whole land, against the king of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. So, what do we see here? How did God promise that he would de 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 defend him? Well, he told Jeremiah he was going to make him like unto a few things. And I think the reason why God used these illustrations was so that when Jeremiah was getting nervous about the outcome of a situation, he could reflect back on these three analogies and he could be reassured that God was going to take care of him. And those three analogies are a fortified city, a fortified city, a, an, iron pill, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall. 
a fortified city, God would protect him like a city ready to defend itself against an attack. And if God is your fortified city, if God's the one fortifying your city, I think you, you know you're probably going to be okay. Uh, the second thing there was an iron pillar. An iron pillar. And uh, God said to him, uh, uh, Jeremiah, uh, you'll be seen as a lasting monument that cannot be cut down like wood or broken like stone. You're an iron pillar and your words are going to ring in people's ears uh, that defy what you say and they won't be able to get away from it. You're going to be like an iron pillar that can't easily be destroyed. The third analogy there was a bronze wall. A bronze wall. Jeremiah will be like a heavy duty bronze wall that cannot be disassembled like a stone wall. They're not going to be able to take you apart stone by stone per se. You are going to be a bronze wall that cannot be disassembled. And so God was telling Jeremiah, listen, it's me and you against them. And I am the omnipotent, all-powerful God. And so I am, uh, I am fortifying you. I am your wherewithal. Listen, let me tell you that you need to stand up for what's right because it's you and it's God. It's you and it's God. You know, I am finding um, uh, around this area uh, that there are a whole lot of uh, people in in positions of power and judicial or in government authority that uh, would definitely be nice to us and kind to us and help us. Uh, but in some of the experiences I've had over the last few months, there are a whole lot of people that are in government positions who just flat out don't like me just because of the position that I hold. And I have dealt with this passive-aggressive spirit firsthand several times in the last few months. Now, I don't think 50 years ago this existed. But the culture now is dictating that church and religion is bad because they're intolerant. And i got to say that we are more tolerant than the other side by far. By far. We're commanded to love our enemies. But I got this promise from the Lord that He's going to fortify Fortify those who take a stand. Number four, we see Jeremiah's sorrow toward Israel's sin. Jeremiah's sorrow toward Israel's sin. Turn over to chapter 9 with me. The Bible says there in verse 1, And these are some of the most famous verses in the book. Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wafering men, that I might leave my people and go from them. They be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. Jeremiah looked at his people and he wept and he wept and he wept until he had no more tears. Jeremiah in the Bible is known as the weeping prophet. Weeping prophet. Why did Jeremiah weep so much? Well, I think that you have a formula here that brings about that weeping. And, I, and I'm, I would ask you this question. 
are these elements of that formula present in your life? They're not totally present in mine, to just be honest. I don't know that they're totally present in any of us. If they're present on some level, I don't know that any of us have it as figured out as Jeremiah did. But here here are the elements. Number one, Jeremiah hated sin. I mean, hated sin. Number two, Jeremiah loved his country. And number three, Jeremiah hated the sin that identified his country. That's very similar to God's attitude toward us, isn't it? God doesn't hate the sinner. He hates the sin and loves the soul that is committing that sin. Jeremiah looked at his country and saw how broken it was. Saw how defiant it was. Saw how wayward it was. And he preached and preached and preached and preached against sin. Hard. He opposed the priests. In fact, there's one story inside the book where they wanted to come at him and take him down. The priests did. As he was walking away. If my memory serves me correctly, one priest said, it's not even worth your time to go after him because God is going to protect him. God is going to protect him. Jeremiah would preach hard and then he would walk away and he would weep over the same people that he had just preached at because he loved them and he loved his country. As I look at our country, I don't need to rehearse in your ears the sins of our country. I think that I've done that several times since I've been here and I think that's waved in front of us daily. If you don't know what the sins of our country are, just turn on the news. Does it break your heart? Let me ask a pointed question tonight. How much time every week do you spend praying for this country? How much do you hate the abortions that go on every day? The babies that are slaughtered in the wombs? Oh, I'm not here preaching a sermon of hate against those who commit the abortions. Those people need love and they need a lot of help. But the act of abortion is murder. When was the last time you fell on your face and you begged God to show mercy to our country even though we just don't deserve it? When was the last time you wept so hard that you ran out of tears and you said to God, Oh, that my head were a water. Mine eyes a fountain of tears. Most Christians today lack a genuine hatred towards sin. We just really don't hate sin. Part of it is because it, it becomes such a part of the routine of our life. There are some sins that we have just accepted and we've allowed to live in our daily routines and uh, we, we, uh, we know it's wrong, but we're not... We're just too lazy to deal with it, and it, it, it is fouling up our life, but we've become used to the stench. And because we ourselves uh, don't reject sin in our own heart, why would we ever uh, go after the sin in anybody else's? And to truly hate sin, one has to truly work on personal holiness. and Develop an attitude where they hate their own personal sin.
We're never going to totally expel it, but we ought to hate it more and more. Number five, we see Jeremiah's suffering. Jeremiah's suffering. Turn with me to chapter 20. Look with me at verse number one there. We're going to look at a few places here. See how Jeremiah suffered. God promised he would, he would protect him, but he did not promise that Jeremiah wouldn't suffer. Look at verse 1 there. It says, Now pastor the son of Emer the priest, who is also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then pastor smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it came to pass on the morrow that pastor brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then said Jeremiah to him, The Lord hath not called thy name, pastor, but Magor... Uh, Misabib. Turn with me over to uh, chapter 26. And so this is the priest that's putting him in stocks. These are supposed to be the religious leaders. Look at chapter 26, verse 7 with me. It says there, I'll begin reading, So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, uh, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. I'm hoping I'm wetting your appetite a little bit. You can go back and read the rest of that story a little bit later. For sake of time, turn over to chapter 37 and verse number 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass that when the army of the Chaldeans was broken up from Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, then Jeremiah went forth out of Jerusalem to go in the land of Benjamin to separate himself uh, thence in the midst of the people, and when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the Lord was there, whose name was uh, Erijah, the son of uh, Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, and he took Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Thou fallest away to the Chaldeans. Then said Jeremiah, It is false. I fall not away to the Chaldeans. But he hearkened not to him, so uh, Erijah took Jeremiah and brought him to the princess, uh, the princess. Wherefore the princes were wroth with Jeremiah and smote him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. When Jeremiah was entered into the dungeon and into the cabin, cabins, and Jeremiah had remained there many days. So there they're accusing him of going and cooperating with the enemy, which was a false claim, and he gets thrown down in a dungeon for something he didn't even do. One more, turn over to chapter 38 and verse number 6. Chapter 38, verse number 6. It says there, Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek, uh, that was in the court of the prison, and they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. He sunk in the mire. I would say that isn't a prison like we have here in the U.S., it was basically a hole in the ground with a bunch of mud, and they let him sink in the mire. I wrote down here below 
uh, several ways Jeremiah was persecuted, and they're all out of the stories we just read. He was persecuted by the priest. Uh, there was a request for his death. He was thrown into a dungeon. He was thrown into a muddy hole. Jeremiah suffered. And Christian, I just want to be straightforward with you tonight. If you do what God has called you to do, while I do believe He will protect you, it doesn't mean that you will not suffer. Can I tell you that it's okay to suffer? God gives you an extra, extra help during that time of suffering. He fortifies you. Your suffering's not in vain. One, your suffering identifies you with Christ. Are you any better than your master? If he suffered, do you think that you can get away with really, truly living full-blown Christianity and not suffering in some way? Now, we don't know what suffering is like other Christians around the globe yet. If you're in the latter part of your life, you may never know what it's like to suffer the way they do. But you will suffer in some way. Number six, and lastly, we see God's sustaining grace. God's sustaining grace. Look down at chapter 39 and verse 11 with me. Before we read that, the backstory here is that um, Nebuchadnezzar finally comes in and takes Zedekiah off the throne and carries away all the the uh, people except for just the lowest of the low back to uh, back to Babylon. Jeremiah goes with, and uh, verse eleven we find what Nebuchadnezzar does with Jeremiah. The Bible says, "Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to uh, Nebuzaradan, uh, the captain of the guard, saying." Take him and look well to him, and do him no harm, but do unto him, even as he shall say unto thee. So uh, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, sent, and uh, uh, Nebu uh, Shashban, uh, and those other names there, look down at verse 14, even they sent and took Jeremiah out of the court of the prison, and committed him unto Gedaliah, the son of uh, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should carry him home. So, the walls of the city were burned. Uh, uh, you have all kinds of uh, uh, people that are left behind with soot and ash on their face. Lamentations describes mothers that are not able to give their children suck because they're starved. Uh, uh, children wandering in the street looking for something to eat out of the trash. Uh, Jeremiah went back to that because that's where Jeremiah wanted to go. And so in the end, while everybody else got carried away to captivity, Jeremiah was given his freedom by the most powerful man in the world at that time, Nebuchadnezzar. God sustained Jeremiah with His grace. And my friend, listen, if it's you and God standing up against sin, God is going to fortify you. God is going to fortify you. I, I'm going to finish this evening with a very simple illustration that I think has a larger parallel to you and I uh, in the world we live. When I was a young man, I went to Christian schools. My father was uh, was and still is a Christian school principal. And so um, I remember being a, a little guy and, and sitting in chapel in school and uh, the preachers would get up and talk about, you need to stand for what's right. You don't need to follow the crowd. And all those are good things. And and if you've gone to church long, you've heard sermons like that preached. Well, that really challenged me because there were some kids in my class that were unruly. 
there were some kids in my class that would talk about things that were inappropriate and out of bounds. And the older I got and the more knowledgeable kids became, the further that envelope of that would continue to get pushed. And when you're in the third grade, what's being talked about might be crass at a Christian school, but generally it's not, it's not sexual, it's not sinful on that level. But when you get to the fifth and sixth grade, boy, the comments to start, the jokes to start coming out of some of these kids' mouths. They're hearing from older siblings or maybe hearing off TV. And the Lord was really working on my heart. You need to stand up for what's right. And I can remember being a little guy sitting at the table, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, even uh, as young as third grade. And, and there would be this conviction on the inside. You, you need to say something. And I'd get really nervous. My hands would get sweaty. I could feel my body temperature rising. And I wasn't able to do it. Wasn't able to do it. And I would go home and I would be guilt-ridden. Just guilt-ridden because I didn't stand up for what was right. And I remember the first time sitting at a lunch table. I could take you to the table or at least I could take you to the spot in in the lunch room where the table was. And I said, guys, we probably shouldn't talk about this. This... This isn't the most godly thing to be talking about, and I don't think the Lord's pleased with our our conversation. You want to talk about awkward? You want to talk about getting stared at like you're a nut? And uh, you want to talk about an adrenaline rush? Just it was it was weird. But I slept a whole lot better that night when I went to bed. Now what I just shared with you is a struggle of a 6th and 7th grader. And eventually, by the time I got to my junior, senior year of high school, I was looking younger classmen down and saying, we don't talk like that in this school. Not in a mean, unkind way, but just in a, hey, that's not going to fly around me. And... The Lord helped hone that. But there had to be that first time I stood up for what's right. The next time you're in the grocery store and someone takes God's name in vain, why don't you stand up for the Lord? Just turn around and say to them, I'm a Christian. God is really good. And I would just really appreciate if you wouldn't take His name in vain for your sake and mine. You're going to get the same treatment I got in sixth grade. In time, in time it will become more natural for you. You say, but I might suffer, but I may know Him. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable into His death. Christians, do you hate sin? Are you willing to stand up? Stand up for your country and weep. And cry this country back to holiness. Cry and beg God for His forgiveness in both your own personal life and in the life of this country. Are you willing to be a Jeremiah? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed.